You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I speak with Omron Automation Product Specialist Franz Ferre. During our conversation, Franz provides an overview of the IOLink communication protocol, starting with its hardware and technical specs, and progressing to how IOLink simplifies the installation configuration, and maintenance of field devices. In addition, he explains how the technology's bi-directional communication, remote parameter configuration, and data collection capabilities enable the implementation of IIoT technologies and manufacturing data analytics. With that, let's jump into the interview. Hi, Franz. Uh, thank you for talking to me today. Hi, Mike. If you could, uh, just to get started, um, could you introduce yeah. yourself and who you work for and what you do? Yes, thanks, Mike. Uh, my, my name is Franz Ferre. I'm a product manager for Omron Automation. Originally, I graduated from Chico State, California as a mechanical engineer, and uh, I joined Omron in 2020. I did sales, field sales for Omron for a few years, and then I joined the product management group in, in headquarters for Omron in Kyoto, Japan. So I'm working directly with the development team and as well as the uh, U.S. marketing team to um, talk directly with the uh, customer base in the United States and, and make sure our products are aligned for the U.S. market, particularly uh, automotive is a big focus for us in Omron. Mm, okay. Big. Are there Are there particular products that you usually deal with? Um, currently, um, I'm focused primarily on remote I.O. products. So okay. anything that's IP65 and up, remote I.O. Is, is what I'm focusing on currently. Well, we were talking about I.O. Link today uh, mm -hmm. for this podcast. Could you give like a, a brief description, like an overview description of I.O. Link? Uh, we, you know, I.O. Link is, is a... It is a fun one. It's a it's a new um, technology that's it's been around for a few years, but uh, I think it's just starting now to be adopted by a lot more a lot more users in the automation field. But a brief or overview of it is really um, IOLink is a standard communication protocol uh, for field devices such as sensors, actuators, uh, and many more. And this allows for additional data transfer between the device and the controller than was normally possible before. Niolink uses the same wiring as a typical sensor. So um, M12 connections, four or five wires. Um, this really simplifies the connect, um, the wiring because you don't need to use any anything special. If you're using IOLink or you're not using IOLink, it's the same wiring for both. And, and as more manufacturers are making uh, devices that are IOLink, uh, the advantages of implementing IOLink are, are really just going up. So Nowadays, uh, many devices that were typically analog before um, are available in a lower cost IOLink version. Um, hmm. This greatly reduces system costs, lowers the chance for signal um, errors when connecting longer cables. Um, and now uh, we're starting to see manufacturers make things like robot grippers in IOLink, stack lights, motors, encoders, pneumatics, um, you name it. So really think of a field device and automation um, there's probably an IOLink version of that now. So it's a point-to-point -point protocol. Is that is that the correct way of thinking about it? It's a you're, yeah, you're connecting it's... directly from the field device to a master, an IOLink field device to a master, and you can think of it as it, it's very similar to a serial communication, mm. but it's a standardized. So any IOLink master will talk to any IOLink device of any manufacturer. So it's a standardized across all manufacturers. Could you describe what was mm -hmm. the what is the pre-IOLink kind of situation with with sensors, wiring them? Is it is it different for every like does every manufacturer have like a different like serial port or like three wire or shielded or not shielded and stuff. And so you have to mix and match wire types to field sensors to ports on a a module on a on a PLC bus or how I mean what is it what I mean just for mine because I've never yeah, I, I've never actually sure. done it so 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 typically the typical sensor is is a digital sensor mm -hmm. it's non non smart or non IO link there's no data communication from 
the, the PLC or the controller to the sensor. The sensor can be, you know, three wire PNP or MPN, or it can be uh, two wire. Um, there's lots of different versions of it, but the, 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 the issue is if there's any issue with that sensor, the controller doesn't know. So either the, the sensor gives the output correctly or it doesn't. And right. so really the only way that you, you know that there's an issue with the sensor is if the machine crashes or a product gets missed or that sort of thing. So there's no, there's no communication from the device to the controller typically. Um, there's also analog sensors, which are the same thing. There's um, typically, I think analog is, it's either three or four wires. Typically there's the, there's an analog signal there and either the signal drops or it doesn't, but there's no communication back and forth. And so what iolink does is it allows the, con the controller to talk to the device and get additional da data transfer back and forth. So you can get, you can access multiple different data points of the sensor. For example, like um, the temperature of the sensor, you can get the intensity of the signal. Is the signal weakening or is it not weakening? But also you can write settings to the to device as well. So say mm. you have a complicated device, right? It takes maybe three or four different settings on the device to get it dialed in for your application. Um, typically you'd have to either set all those with a potentiometer directly on the device, mm. or you'd have to, you know, click on a menu, like some sensors have like push buttons on there and you can kind of click through a, a, a sub menu, which can take a lot of time. But with iolink, you can program directly from the controller. So you can send a message to it, say, I want these settings. I already know this is what I want and you can write it. And this, this can save the user a lot of time because the user might not, the replacing one, they don't know exactly how to dial it in, right? They're, it's their first day on the job as a, as a maintenance, or maybe it's the first time replacing one, but the engineer knows they can write that to the device as well. So it's it's the communication going back and forth, which is is the key for IOLink, which is the difference. Sure. Yeah. I, diagnostically, that's got to be just, uh, uh, just a, a boon for anybody who's, I mean, if, if you start getting bad parts and you're like, oh, where do we start? Right. You know, and it could be a temperature, it could be a position, it could be, and now you're shutting yeah. down the machine and you're got what, like a which, potential. Which one is no. it? Where is, which, where, where is it? And then, oh, oh shoot, this is the, I don't know how to program this sensor. I know how to program one that's similar, but is it, yeah. push it for three seconds and then, you know, like, <laughs> you got to look in a, look in the documentation that the machine builder gave you iolink kind of can eliminate a lot of those those uh those hassles for the end user for sure yeah 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 so i mean the, the, from what i could tell the adoption rate of iolink over the last 10 ish 13 years yeah. has been kind of hockey stick right and stuff i mean it sort of slowly takes off in the 2010s 2011s and now it's up to i think the iolink whoever is the association that oversees it is pegs it at like 21 million nodes, active nodes as of 2020. So really mm -hmm. a, a very popular technology. And uh, yeah, it's not, I, I think it's, I think it still hasn't reached critical mass yet. Either. No. I think that it is, there's still a lot of hesitations to using it. And probably the reason why I'm doing this podcast today is just kind of talk about some of those and, and really help educate and go this there's some, a lot of advantages to this if you take the time to implement it correctly it can save a lot of a lot of time for your end users for example yeah so just so i can and visualize it there's a master yeah. that connects either to a bus or directly to the plc and it does this is a hardware agnostic kind of technology it's not it's not tied to any particular field bus it's not like company A's sensor will work with company B's master or vice versa and stuff. It's just an open field. Yes. There's no, there's no proprietary kind of one thing doesn't talk to another and you have to read through a bunch of documentation to figure that out and stuff. You can just plug one thing into another. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Basically? Yeah. So, so there's a, a master, which, which kind of acts like a communicator or a protocol. Um, it, it converts it. And so okay. it would convert the IOLink to whatever um, protocol you're using for your application, whether it's Ethernet IP, whether it's EtherCAT, uh, ProtonNet, Modbus, for example. So 
you would you would purchase the master that you that you uh, that talks that communication that you're using, right? Then that master will work with any iLink device. So that so you have any any iLink device by any manufacturer can connect to any uh, master by any manufacturer, and then the master will just convert um, to whatever protocol that you're using. So there's really, if you look across all the manufacturers making um, masters and devices, I think that pretty much all major protocols are covered. But but correct, any any device will work with um, with any master. It's an open. It's a standard protocol. And so there's there's a standard file that manufacturers give with the iLink device. It's called the IODD file. Right. And so that comes with the device and you install it. It's similar to like an EDS file for Ethernet IP, right? So you just, you can install it and then all of the settings are automatically uploaded into the master kind of a thing. So it's it's very nice in that aspect. Yeah, I was going to ask you, there, there are, Typically, if I can, if I read this correctly, there's eight ports on a master, and there's one device per port. Typically, um, typically, yes, but there's also there's also four port masters. Eight okay. port is is uh, is very typical. So each each port typically has four uh, four wires on mm -hmm. the port. So gotcha. one wire is for power, one is for ground, one is for the digital output of the sensor. And then the other one is for the IOLink communication. There's also a five wire version, and I don't want to get too in depth into um, the IOLink, but there's there's two different types of IOLink ports. One of them has five wires, and it's really for uh, extra power. So gotcha. you want to drive motors. There's a there's a version called Class B, which you're going to want to look for. But um, most applications are what's called Class A, which has four wire uh, four wires. But what's nice is that um, you can also configure that IOLink port to be a digital port. So it could be either like two inputs or two outputs or one input and one output instead of IOLink. So if you aren't using eight IOLink sensors per that master and you want to have some digital I.O. on that same master, you can do that with IOLink. So you're not stuck to, I have to buy everything IOLink now. You right. can say, hey, I, I need IOLink for... 30% of my of my machine or my line, but the rest I want to use digital I.O. I don't need to spend extra money, right? You can do that with I.O. Link. It's very flexible. And so the the communications, there's cyclic and acyclic. There's like yeah. I was going to ask you, when you plug, when you plug a field device, whatever it is, say yeah. a sensor, into the master, the master is holding that configuration file, that IODD file and recognizes does the sensor talk to the master initially and say here's what i am and who made me and my serial number and that sort of thing and then the master looks for an iodd file and sort of says or is that it's not it's not or maybe it's not as plug and play as that i'm trying to so i want to talk about the the acyclic and, oh, and cyclic sure. communication okay. i think that's a great a great question sure. um the I, iod file you have to um you have to load that into the master to communicate so that's that is one of the steps but the so iolink does have um acyclic and cyclic communication um i'm typically thinking implicit or explicit cuz i think ethernet ip but um so an iolink device has certain data that it it sends all the time and then there's certain data that the that the master can ask for via explicit messaging or, or um, I think it's, P is it SDO or PDO in EtherCAT? I can't remember which one, but there's a, there's a acyclic one for EtherCAT as well and, and other protocols. But depending on the device, there's certain data that you might want to ask the device, but you don't need it all the time. So you don't want to be using all your memory of the controller to get all the data, but maybe every, every hour you want to go, hey, is this device working properly? Give me all of these parameters of the device, you can do that with a okay. acyclic, but there might be like cyclic communicate cyclic data that you want all the time. Like where you want to say, for example, you want to um, get a pressure reading and you have a IOLink pressure sensor that that pressure reading will be a, a cyclic communication, but maybe the, the status of the, of the 
device that's a acyclic okay so does it is it configurable so i would say i want a pressure update every 10 minutes three seconds nano you know microsecond is that something well i, I imagine that's up to the manufacturer how what the yeah what the update rate is but i mean is it <laughs> is it typically parameterizable that's not even a word but you know what i mean like something that you can configure in the software such that i want an update every x number of seconds or minutes or so for um for cyclic communication there's there's three different types of of what they call baud rates for iolink right um right. and so you can and, and that's based off of when, when you buy the device it'll tell you it's either com1 com2 or com3 is what they're called and the bot the fastest baud rate i believe is 20 230.4 k is what it is but yeah but Every master is compatible with all three. So whatever one you buy, you'll get that update. And it's up to the manufacturer to say, these are the data that I'm going to give you cyclically. I so see. it'll this is you'll it'll you'll put up the manual of the device. It'll say these four parameters, for example, we're going to send you cyclically, and it'll be in the master cyclically all the time, be updated. And then everything else. It's up to the programmer to say, I want this explicitly. So you ping the the master and say, I want this data. And then it, you can, so you could ask it as much as you want, I guess, but then it's up to the the communication. Um, it's up to the network, how, how fast you can get the data. I see. I see. Okay. It's I wasn't sure if it was, yeah. 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 I wasn't sure if it was like an automatic thing that the sensor just sends it. And it doesn't need to it, be like the the master doesn't have to be explicitly told, okay, ping it, and then it responds. So there's so there's two types. There's the there's the implicit, and then there's the explicit. So the implicit it is automatically sent. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And 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 like a non-ILink is the non-ILink sensor just a stream of data that just constantly goes, or is it is it just voltages on a wire and it's a, a non-ILink sensor will be. You'll basically either get a, a on or you'll get an off when the sensor fires. Oh, it's triggers. just binary? Yeah, it's binary or it's analog. If it's an analog, then you get that analog reading basically constantly, but it's you don't have any other any other data with that. So you don't know if the if if the signal is getting weaker over time. You don't like there's a lot of other um parameters that I link that you can get. And that, that's one of them, right? Like say for, a, if you have a, a photo eye that's getting dirty over time, mm. you could get that, the, there's a, it's called light intensity. You get a reading of how much light you're getting. So you could track that, you could trend that. Say, hey, on this line, um, all my sensors are getting dirty over time. Let's go clean them or let's you know go replace them before they all get stuck on or stuck off. Sure. Kind of thing. So that's data that you wouldn't normally get on a normal sensor. Basically, you would just over time, eventually it would just stop working and then you'd have to go find it. Right. So they all have this sort of, I'm not broken, but I'm kind of headed in that direction sort of feedback. To yes. Them? Then that, so then, and that data is, so oh. yes, um, most iLink devices have a lot of that extra data available. It it doesn't, it doesn't trigger a, a warning for it's up to the programmer to set a threshold in the controller. I so see. you get that signal and then the programmer would say, hey, if this threshold goes below this amount, trigger a maintenance warning, or maybe it goes to a SCADA software and the, the SCADA software tracks it. So iLink, it it gives the user a lot of a lot of two extra tools, but it's up to the the programmer to use the tools in a way that's beneficial. So there's a lot of great preventative maintenance things that can can be done with iolink but it's really up to that programmer to take that data and, and do something with it gotcha i have gotcha. seen some some users that for example they're using a proximity sensor that is iolink but they're not using that data for anything so it's really in, in that in that instance it's a it's a there's nothing special about iolink for them and that's gotcha. in that case so how does what is the best way to think of using these properly? I mean, it'd be easy just to plug it in as a as a standard device and then just sort of ignore or not listen to it, as you say. But 
if yeah. if I'm a machine builder from an OEM and I'm configuring, or even I'm if I'm an end user, yeah. should I be thinking in terms of visualization? I have this context. I know which I know which sensor in which cell in which line it is. I can sort of potentially see that through an That's HMI a or a SCADA That's a thing. Great or... question. So I, I'd say the first the first thing I would look at is any expensive device, particularly analog, I would look at getting that analog signal via IO-Link instead, because digital is less expensive than analog. So mm. look for an IO-Link alternative to analog devices. That would be my first suggestion. And then I would look at any um, problem area device. Like if you have certain part of your, your line or your machine that, that has issues, you can utilize IO-Link to get to get that data, and then you can start to get an idea of what's going wrong. Maybe it's getting dirty. Maybe, um, maybe the end user is is bumping into it, that kind of thing. So I would I would look at any areas where you're having typical problems is where I would start first. Mm. Um, and then last, I would think any device that has multiple parameters that you need to set, look at utilizing IO-Link to help the user replace that easily. So you can, in iLink, there's a thing called backup and restore. So you can set up the device and then you can back it up inside the master. So all the settings that you want for that sensor, you know, you're the OEM, you know exactly what you want to set the, the device at. You can back that up into the master and then all the end user has to do is replace the device and then it'll automatically back up for you. I see. Restore. So so, so as as soon if I'm the if I'm the MRO guy if I'm the maintenance guy, yeah. I've got ten yeah. of these things in the in the storeroom. I I bring one out. I unscrew the M12. I screw a new one yeah. on. I put it back in place. The master recognizes yeah. a new one is in place. Downloads those parameters to the replacement device, and we're good to go. Yeah. Turn it back on, and we're up and running again. Exactly. That's yeah. Awesome. It's, it's yeah very very nice for. For devices that have multiple um, set set points and multiple different settings, I know that oh. um, di like distance laser sensors are are a good um, example of that. Like they're very good for complicated applications, like for clear bottle detection, that kind of thing. But they yeah. do take a number of different settings on the sensor to get it dialed in just right and to have an end user do that correctly when they replace it is is probably pretty difficult. So having it back up and restored is going to be very critical for those kinds of devices. So that's kind of my, my rundown. I think of saving costs with IOLink. I think of helping you diagnose problem areas or, or yeah. doing preventative maintenance, and then also saving time for your end user by um, having the automatic backup and restore. Those are kind of my main three target areas. And so from there, you can there's a lot more I think you could do with IO-Link. I think we're still kind of seeing what manuf or what um, OEMs and machine builders are are doing with it. But I think that those are the the three main areas that I think have been mostly beneficial for almost any customer. Okay. A couple of things occurred to me. Um, mm -hmm. Are there, with these smart capabilities and the ability to communicate not only just from the field device up to the master and the PLC, but also back down and change things potentially on the fly. Does this open new, like as a PLC programmer, as a controls engineer, does it, like would a would a, a field full of these kinds of devices open all kinds of new programming possibilities for me? Like could I pull off fancier code in a way that, like I'm thinking like if I had, yeah. If I had a line that that I needed to change over, right? Yep. And maybe for for I don't know product A, sensors have to be set up in one configuration, and then I'm hitting a button or something on a SCADA system or an HMI, and now the changeover, all the sensors have been the ones that need to be changed. For product B, they have different parameters, they have different set points, they have different whatever it is that they sense, and so the masters distribute that new configuration automatically at the touch mm -hmm. of a touch screen. Is that, is that something that's possible yeah. or am I just sort of fanciful? No, that's, a, that's, that's exactly, um, 
that's exactly possible. So you can you can write any new setting to that that device via the controller, and it's via um, acyclic communication or explicit messaging. But you yeah. can you could say, hey, this parameter I want this to be this. This parameter I want this to be this. And so you could do like batch setting or that kind of thing where you A B. Hey, I want these settings for A. These settings for B. You could also have like if you have a, a device where you want, where you typically have the, the user push a button to teach it, you could have like an initialize setting where you initialize all of the devices at the same time from the HMI, say startup, boom, every device is taught based off of like what distance it is from the background, that kind of thing. You could reparameterize all the devices at once, um, that kind of thing. Like if you have backgrounds that get dirty, and you need to, um, like, you could re-parameterize every shift, for example, so that 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 every sensor is updated to the new um, environment. Gotcha. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot of the stuff like that you could do too with IOLink. Yeah, yeah. I forgot to ask it. <laughs> when we're talking about masters, but how does the PLC see the master? It's 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 working like a. In my own thinking, I'm thinking like a router, right? And stuff. Many computers connected to a router and. They all have IP addresses, and that's how messages find their way to and from, and the router sort of figures that out. I'm, is that the same sort yeah, of scenario? That... I think that that's, yeah. And and when I'm thinking of, of networking and, and automation world, um, the master would see it as basically one node on that network protocol. So if you're talking Ethernet IP, the master would be one node of Ethernet. So if the PLC can say, talk to 10 different IP addresses or 10 different nodes, you could have 10 masters. If the, if the controller can do a hundred, you could do a hundred. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it like, um, let's say the controller can do 10 nodes. So you have 10 masters and then each master can do eight IO links. Then you have, what is that? 80. 80 yeah. um, or if you're doing each of those eight, you split into digital IO. So one master would have 16 digital IO, then you'd have 160. So yeah, that's gotcha. how, um, think of it like a, a remote remote IO, like if uh, in panel panel IO, like you have a coupler and then the coupler talks. So it's it's very similar um, idea. And and masters have, um, have an input and an output. So you can run one communication cable from the controller to the master, and then you can daisy chain to the next master oh, nice. from, yeah. So that's how you save the cabling. So yeah, big, you know, large lines. Um, you know, you only have one cable going to the controller, and then right one power cable, and then you know you can just daisy, daisy chain. That way, you're not running all that cabling back to back to the controller. That's where you save on the signal loss. Um, if you're yeah. using analog, yeah. So, it's, so I'm just imagining like free IO link. If I had mm -hmm. a line and I've got a panel somewhere, right? A control and electrical panel somewhere. Am I running like, I don't know how many sensors would typically be in a line. Let's say 20, 30, something like that. Does that seem reasonable? It, that that could be, that's on the lower end sometimes. There's, I've oh, seen, okay. yeah, hundreds of them. So but... you say, let's, let's say 50. And so okay. each one has got like two or three, each sense, each field device has got two or three cables in it and they're all running like from the line. Most like most, most or... sensors would be, most sensors would have one cable, but there are some that have two. Oh, like okay. if it's a, if it's an emitter receiver photo eye, that would have two cables. Sure. But, but even um, so 50 cables. Yeah. 50 cables. Um, and, and so you're still going to have 50 cables, but the difference is, they're short. Um, they're shorter because you can yeah. mount. Let's say you have a group of a group of eight sensors that are close by. Then you could have eight short cables go to a master, and then you have one long cable instead of eight long cables. Yeah, this daisy chains to the next one. This daisy chains to the next and one, you and can then daisy eventually chain you have all a of panel them. that only yeah. has one cable coming in or going across. And it's what up to twenty meters that you can go in a in a run. Uh, twenty meters from the sensor to the master. And then um, you can go master up to 100 meters from a master to a controller. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then so, yeah, the that's... other, 
Oh, Sorry. I did, did want to mention this. That uh, one thing that that I've noticed a lot for for manufacturers and and whatnot, but it does it does um, having a remote I/O doesn't require a UL um, electrician to wire. So oh. having a remote panel somewhere, you have to pay for a UL certified shop to wire that panel for you. All those Whereas, little stick in sort of yes. and tighten down yep. the screw and stuff and and just one after All another it's just it's just a it's just a spaghetti and so, of and so some like some um industries have unions and that sort of thing and so it can be tricky to find that that work or the skilled labor that is available to do that for you and if something goes wrong having that person on staff to do the maintenance whereas yeah. if you have a remote IO block um, really anybody that can turn an M12 connector by their hand, which is basically anybody, right. um, can install that for you. So it really helps simplify a lot for you as a, um, not only a machine builder, but end user all over, all over the place. It's, yeah. it's really a driving force. Well, it's clear why this has been such a popular technology. I mean, uh, industrial technology is new. I mean, in, you know, uh, plants and and uh, machine builders, they hate change. So, I mean, for to have this kind of growth and ad adoption rate is kind of unique. I think EtherCAT maybe had, you know, had that kind of meteoric rise and stuff, maybe Ethernet IP, but most of them don't. Even, I, you know, even the PLC yeah. struggled for a while, at least in North America. I, um, yeah. yeah. So what is it like, what could be the reticence at this point? Is it really expensive? Is it, is it just newfangled? Is it just, I don't, I, th you know. I think that, um, I, I think that for a lot of people that I've talked to, it's for the programmer, it still takes some configuration time to mm. set up Okay. some of these. And so for them, it's, it's, they're already used to setting up a digital device. And so for them, it's well, it's a lot easier to just use a digital and they're and they're cheap sometimes. A lot of times a, a cheap photo eye can be uh, less expensive than an IO-Link one. So they think, hey, this is I, I don't need to do this, go through all this extra hassle to do this IO-Link thing when my customers aren't asking for it. But really customers are asking for lower downtime, they're asking for more reliability, yeah. they're asking for things that are easier to maintain. They're calling the, the manufacturer in the middle of the night saying, hey, we need help replacing this device, right? And those are all clues that, hey, maybe you should consider doing this because it's it's a small investment up front once you learn how to use it. One of the customers that I've, that I've talked to that, that understand it go, wow, this is really great now that I've learned how to adopt this technology. Yeah. But it's just taken some time, I think, for people to go. You know, because because a lot of times the end user isn't asking, "Hey, I want to I want to use iLink." They're asking for those keywords, right? I that, see. So it's it's kind of bridging that gap, like, "Hey, I can do all that the customer wants with iLink." I I heard one recently where the the end user want is contracting the work directly from the OEM, so they want the OEM to stand by the output of the machine, the productivity of the machine, mm. the maintenance as a package. And having the IO link allows that OEM or the system integrator to really guarantee it because they're able to remotely understand what's going on with the system. They can maintain oh, it. Okay. So there's, I think that there's some, some of that additional business opportunity maybe yeah. out there where, Hey, now we can offer maintenance as a service, or we can offer, we could, you know, rent the machine as opposed to selling it. And because we have, we can guarantee that, that there's going to be a certain output, then we can, we can do that. And so, yeah. so I was thinking of that information that's coming from these smart sensors and going to it in those configurations, but coming from the, as just staying in that level one, level two level of automation, right. And it's going and coming, uh, coming and going to the PLC or maybe to the SCADA system. Yeah. But I was thinking it just stops there, but it doesn't necessarily it can, it could, potentially be what yeah plugged I mean, into a cloud from some, some kind of uh mqtt broker or uh historian or something along those lines yeah. where or or some kind of remote display and just sort of lighting up and saying okay this one's having a problem or this one's wearing down or 
every, or everything seems to be fine. I don't, how does that, like, it, yeah. it, it's not necessarily limited to that, that la those layers. Yeah, those so layers, it's relatively low layers. Yeah. So, so the, the controller is, has all the data available from what's, what's going on at the device level. And the then the, the, the master, the, the device, the sensors, all, you know, so it yeah. has that data. Um, if you have an MQ, MQTT capable controller or an IPC, then it's really sky's the limit. You you can go to the cloud. You can remote in. You can you could really see, and that's where that, as I was saying that you can see what's going on on a sensor level. What's what's happening there versus a typical digital sensor? All you know is it's either on or it's off. Yeah, and you don't know anything else besides that. Right, and with some of that acyclic, yeah, acyclic, yeah, acyclic, yeah. you can start to see. You could potentially begin to see patterns, right? And stuff if brand X model whatever is, you know, consistently throwing faults and we've replaced five of them for every one of yeah. another brand or something like that, right? Or we're seeing wear and tear, like a motor is starting to slow down over time or, you know, the bearings. Uh, I mean, you could sort of extrapolate certain kind of performance and make a diagnostic if you like collated one or more sensor readings, you might be able to get a sense of something's happening in there. I don't know what exactly, but we should be looking right there because these readings are off their norms. I don't know. I'm just conjecturing, but I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the the things as a manufacturer we're we're kind of assuming that that you could do. Like, yeah, that, okay, that you could you could you could assume that maybe there's some there's a bearing issue here or something. But I, yeah, I, I do think that having that data gives you the opportunity to be able to find that. Whereas okay. before you couldn't, you could, now you have some data, you can go, Hey, this part of the line is always having issues or it's, you know, I, I feel like I'm always replacing it. Um, yeah. You can track that data better. Now that you have more data from the device, it opens up the possibility of, of tracking that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. And from an OEM standpoint, it was interesting what you were saying. They could get vision into a client system and begin to understand what's happening instead of just trying to get a description yeah. of the phone or something. No, I mean, if you, you get a phone call and they say, yeah, I, I set it up, it's it's correct. And you remote in and go, <laughs> that's you you installed the wrong sensor, buddy. Right. Um, you can you can actually see what what device they connected. That's so you you could remote in, you could see that, you could see, hey. This isn't set up right, or hey, you know what? I can just teach it for you really quick. How about that? That's yeah. that's easier for you than having to walk somebody through those steps. And I was thinking almost like Tesla cars send telemetry back to Tesla about how it's performing, what's going on, and stuff. I don't know if many OEMs or, or system integrators are at this point, but they could start to get sort of data back from these machines that they've designed and built and potentially build other things and start to glean yeah. some information. Oh, we could probably make this better if we tweak this here and there, or we're going to build another one of these yeah. and stuff. We learn from the historic data yeah. that we should I've, be making a better motor here, or, you know what I mean? Or we don't need a big, as big a motor. I don't know. You know, I, 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 just, think the, I think the industry is trending that way. Last time okay. I, I was at a trade show, I saw uh, not on the IO link, like the sensor level, but um, I was seeing it for, like camera imaging, they're tracking that kind of data, stealing of, of bags. How's that? That's working. They have a sensor there and they're tracking. So I, I think that we're just starting to trend in that direction. Okay. So I think that this is a, a direction that we're going to see a lot more of, definitely. Okay. Do masters usually just, just connect to PLCs or to a field bus or do they, they also have different ports for, say, if you had sort of like a an OPC UA server or an, or an MQTT yeah. broker and stuff, and then there was a separate outward bound kind of like so most of the signal are, would go one way, but it could go the other way as well. There are um, MQTT uh, capable IOLink masters on the market. That's, so that is something that's that is coming for sure. And um, there we're also um, starting to see it um, happen in safety. Mm. as well so okay. there is a thing called IO link safety i did briefly run across that although i don't 
I must admit, I, I didn't delve too deeply into it. Is that a different kind of master or is that a separate kind of field device that is compatible I, with? I think it's them? it's separate and I'm I'm not too familiar with iLink okay. safety because it's a new sure. technology, but I um, just- They're working towards point, a- think, Yeah, sorry. There's, this is going to be a new technology that's going to be coming very soon. Okay. Yeah, it was. it looked as though it was on its way to becoming a standard the way iOLink is. But was still in the I, process, something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I think at the, the end of this year we're going to have a lot more understanding about <laughs> about iolink safety. Gotcha. Um, okay. What I've seen at at trade shows, yes. So how does how does iolink compare to something like Modbus? I know that's another sort of popular, been around since the 70s. Is that are they comparable? Are they is one sort of like how would you uh, Sort of so I I'm not too familiar with Modbus. I I know a lot more about Ethernet IP, EtherCAT. Um, I I know that Modbus was a a popular protocol. I think there was like Modbus devices. Like am, am I correct? Like you could get Modbus sensors or Modbus. Yeah, yeah. Type of. It seemed it seemed as though it was, it very it simplified some of the wiring, some of the configuration, but wasn't. Okay. It's it's not as I'm, I'm not sure. I don't get the sense that it was bi-directional or it is bi-directional. I don't think there's a lot of that, intelligence I'm, necessarily, but it's it it was a simplification yeah. from what had been, but it's not as sophisticated it, I, as. Without um, being um, incredibly educated with, about Modbus, I, I can I can speak to the iLink side and say that I, I think that what makes iLink different is that it's an open, pro, it's a standard protocol. Yeah. A, and so really that you you're kind of guaranteed that it's gonna that it's gonna work when you yeah. connect to the master. And then also um the fact that it uses a standard M12 four wire connection, it, it allows that simplification where you're hey, we're gonna buy double-ended M12 cables, we're gonna buy two, five, 10, 20 meter cables, and whenever we need one, we just use it. It really simplifies a lot of the design for the engineers and so i i i can't speak for mod i think if i could guess i think that the Modbus was it wasn't a standard quick disconnect cable it was probably different for each device and so yeah. you there was still some some figuring out you had to do don't yeah. think you'd have to keep more product on hand different kinds of wires different kinds of end connectors all that kind of stuff Gotcha. Okay. So now we've largely been talking about sensors, but you initially mentioned like there are grippers coming on the market that are... something that was that was um, um actually I learned from a I learned from customers um, oh okay that that um you know asked them why why are you considering IOLink and they said well we want to use these robot grippers and the robot grippers are IOLink and I was like wow that's I've never thought about that and then so I went and talked to some of the manufacturers that that make the grippers and typically a gripper would be a, a serial communication, maybe an RS-485, mm. but they said, well, uh, a lot of times when you talk about a gripper, it goes on a, obviously it goes on a robot and a robot cell, there's remote IO and remote IO is IO link. So why not make it IO link? And so sure. now you have, you mount one master on the robot cell, you have all your sensors going to it and you can have the robot gripper going to it as well. You don't have to worry about RS-485 anymore. Um, it simplifies a lot of things. And so that's what I was thinking. I, I, I think a lot of manufacturers are making anything that can be communicated um, is being considered as an IO-Link option now. So I I've see. seen like, pneumat like pneumatic companies are making IO-Link devices, hmm. valves, valve banks, um, stack lights. You could tr you know trigger a stack light to be different colors or you can communicate to it. And there's a very... A, a lot of different devices that can be IO-Link, a safety light curtain, even though it's not safety, IO-Link safety, for example, but there are manufacturers that make, for example, Omron makes one that is the IO-Link. You could get the beam data of the safety light curtain over IO-Link. Okay. You can see if that, that's getting dirty. Maybe a, a safety laser scanner can have an IO-Link communication as well. So there's a lot of, it's kind of just been, the door's been open now that more and more customers are using it. Like, hey, let's, let's keep making it. It's, how it's been D distance lasers, a lot of 
pressure, flow sensors or IO linked as well. But uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to bring out the point that it's not yeah. just sensors. I always thought of IOLINK as just sensors, but it's expanding into other kinds it's of expanding. And there's also um, there's also motors, like there's really? IOLINK motors as well, and that's so where drive. Um, you just I briefly talked about. There's two different ports for IOLINK. There's class A and there's class B, and I talked yeah. about there's a five wire version which has more power available. Okay, that's what they're for, and so there's IOLINK motors on the market and. Can't speak too much about them because because we don't Amran is not making them, but I I have seen them on the wow. market. There's encoders that are IOLINK. VFDs I think can talk IOLINK nowadays. Really? Yeah. Okay. So so that would be a major boom just across. You know, if you're a machine designer or somebody's commissioning or somebody who's got to repair these things, I mean, just a standard cable. Uh, you know, that's daisy chain, you know, from one master to the next across the line, one thing goes out to the panel. And, and I keep forgetting to mention that the master can be on the cell. I think we've sort of alluded to that and stuff, but it doesn't yeah. have to be, it doesn't have to, it can be, but it doesn't have to be in, in the control panel. And it could be I-90. doesn't have to be. Um, and that one thing I didn't mention, um, there are um, control panel IO-Link cards available. So some manufacturers yeah. make a IOLINK card that goes on their PLC rack or the remote IO rack that talks IOLINK, which those are available. Uh, but I, I think that what's really interesting is when you are able to re remote and save on having somebody have to wire the panel for you. I think that's where IOLINK really, like you get all the benefits, yeah, not just the data. Yeah. that's I mean, that's just transformative. I yeah. mean, from what I can tell, from what you described, the way sensors and field devices used to be wired, the way they can be wired through IRLink, and then all the capabilities that are that are opened up yeah. based on that. It's just yeah. like there's a before and the yeah. after. You know what I mean? This is really a, a major change, I would think. Oh, right. one, one thing I that I've uh, been looking or I, I didn't mention yet, but um, there's what's called a hub, an IRLink hub. Yeah. You might see those available as well. Okay. So an IRLink hub is it's basically an extension of of IO. So you could think of it like, hey, I wanna I wanna have extra digital IO at this at this cell, but I don't wanna purchase an extra IOLINK master and do that. You can purchase what's called a hub. Okay. And the hub has one port which communicates IOLINK to the master. So the master sees one IOLINK device. Gotcha. But, the, but that hub has IO ports on it. So you can connect oh. um, eight or four really? or 16 sensors to it and they're typically a lot less expensive than the master so yeah you could use that master as kind of like a remote junction box and you could extend on these yeah but what's what's cool um i, I think is that we're uh we're seeing manufacturers not only make digital um io hubs but but making hubs that are io link have the io link communication but yeah can accept analog sensors for example uh -huh. or can accept RTD. So you could, um, there's also inline converters that are available as well. So if you have, let's say you're, you're talking to and you're doing an install and there's some older devices on the, on the mark or on the already installed analog device, for example, you could get an inline converter, convert that signal to IO link and then connect it to your master. So oh, interesting. it'd be nice if you don't have, if you don't have a bunch of them, you don't want to install another analog card or maybe it's a device net or something like that i think there's yeah. quite a few um converters that are out there as well okay so it kind of reminds me and i've heard it referred to as this it's sort of it's almost like usb in a way and stuff because you you have one usb port out to sort of a hub like you say yeah. and then you could have multitudes of things connected i'm I, I think yep. in those computer terms, right, and stuff, but yep. I hadn't realized that each port on a master could also support a hub with multiple different yeah. uh, fields, uh, field devices off of that. Is there, <laughs> is there lag? Is there, is there delay in the signal? So for the IO link, the data, there is a small lag. There's, and that goes down to that baud rate that I was talking about. Oh, I see. But, okay. But then there's the um, if you talk about like a photo eye that's IO link, there's there's also a digital output 
Mm. So there's the IO link signal and then there's the digital signal. And that digital signal is as fast as the network supports. So if you're talking EtherCAT, that'll be very, very fast. If it's right. talking Ethernet IP, depending on how far it how far it is away from the controller, that there's less or there's potentially more lag than EtherCAT, but it's it's really up to the network at that point. So there's mm -hmm. two signals. There's the there's the IOLink, then there's the digital signal, and you get both of them I see. with IOLink. Okay. So there might be very high speed, very sort of deterministic ethercat i'm thinking of the ethercat kind of system where you might where the where that lag might be a problem but it would have to be like the whole that, system would have to be incredibly yeah. quick in order for that to become an issue yeah i i think of applications where that might come into play like very high speed motion applications where you're mm -hmm. using a sensor to like index something sure and you have like thinking like a printing line <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. But I, I haven't, I don't think I've heard any, anybody say they really need like a deterministic um, on the photo wire or the, the, the inputs. But if you're talking EtherCAT, you're, you're, you're very fast. Gotcha. That's probably the fastest is with EtherCAT. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that you think is important that we haven't covered or touched on? I or think I didn't we, know covered, we covered a lot of, a lot of things. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, j just from the all the different uh, things that are out there with IOLink, I'm pretty excited to see what how people are going to start using it and and the adoption. I'm I'm very excited to see. So, just want to say thanks again for having me, and hope no hopefully that sounds like you were very had a lot of great questions for me and oh, interested you. to learn about it. Hopefully that was that was helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you for joining me. You had to get early in Japan tomorrow and <laughs> my time and so i appreciate you taking the time to uh to, to talk to me today no worries hey thanks mike i really appreciate it thank you for for having me and um hey happy happy new year yeah happy new year thank you for joining us if you enjoyed this episode be sure to check out the design engineering podcast other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcasts or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.